Welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club, episode 24. And in this episode, we're going to get right into one of Patrick Lencioni's most famous books called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And it's our second view, our second dive into teams. The first one really was episode 21, Nightmare Team or Dream Team. Actually, back in episode eight, Ben and I did something on Dream or Dream Team. So we kind of got into it a little bit there, but this one, we're really gonna go into Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team, all about cohesive teams. So I can't wait to get into it. Anyway, before we do, Ben, how are you doing? Yeah, doing great. I've lost count of how many copies of Five Dysfunctions of a Team I've bought and given either to leaders of teams or to everybody in a team. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe this was Lencioni's trick. He worked out if he wrote a book that I would give to every team member I work with, I'd give out a lot of copies. And of course, there's lots of people doing what I do as well. Yeah. Great great book. Lots to discuss. He's a clever guy. And um, as with many of his books, if you haven't read it, read it. It's a fable. It's a story. In other words, it's a very quick read. It's probably a, you know, great on Audible as well. It's probably a two and a half, three hour Audible book. And I've read it probably three or four times. And like Ben, I've got, I've given it to so many people and, uh, and recommended it at the top of my list. So can't wait to get into it. But before we do, Ben, as usual, what's caught your attention? Dominic Cummings. Oh, has caught my attention. Ian, I think we can say that Boris Johnson has a bad lever from his team. Yeah. What do you reckon? (laughs) I think he's throwing as much at Boris Johnson as he can. He's weaponizing it and lobbing it relentlessly, isn't he? (laughs) And so, so Boris Johnson has got a bad lever from his team. And there's a simple answer to this, or at least there is for me, whenever I'm in a leadership role, there's a rule, which is any lever will be a good lever. Yeah. You know, and we work to make sure that because people are going to leave the organization, leave the team for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes they're leaving, sometimes they're being asked to leave. Mm-hmm. We have both, of course. However, only good levers. Yeah, I know he's been such a distraction, hasn't he, for Boris and the Conservative Party. You don't want a bad lever, I completely agree. But, you know, talking with my wife about that, Jacqueline, and saying, are people really going to look at him and say, gosh, we must tune into what Cummings is saying because he just looks like a spiteful boy who's been hurt and kicked out of the playground and he's coming back in to throw a few stones. Yeah, I I agree. But that's not the point, I think, because I agree, people aren't going to take him too seriously. However, how much distraction is he causing? I agree completely. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the root cause and the relationship between him and Boris at the end clearly broke down massively. and, And that's not good, is it? That's really bad. It's not good. And now Boris is having to spend time and resources managing that when there's plenty else he he could be getting on with. And this happens in small businesses, scale-up businesses, large businesses, organisations of all types, all the time. And it's such a distraction, such a waste. And by the way, we should be sending people out of our organisation on their front foot with their head held high, ready to go and do great things wherever they go next. That's the goal I had 
yeah. whenever somebody left the organization. Absolutely. And, and actually, you want people leaving saying, what a great place that was. And, you know, I had great reasons for leaving. They uh, saw me on my way. They wished me well. People are going to leave your organization, aren't they? And, and, and if they grow and they develop and, you, and they go out to the outside world, good on them. And we want them to say, I had a great time and I really admire the company I was with. That's, that's the lever we really want. Totally, totally. And we can avoid the Dominic Cummings situation because people generally, I think, are reasonable. Mm. They don't become toxic unless they feel they've been treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. So even in those difficult exit processes, remember we've got a person on the other side of that process. Mm -hmm. Treat them fairly. I always reminded myself that if they felt backed into a corner, they were going to kick and scream and fight. Mm -hmm. Of course they are. It's only because they're backed into a corner. We continue. We treat them care carefully, fairly, until we've got a, a good exit. Yeah, why wouldn't we? But you've got two people who are strong reds, strong eagles, strong alpha males, who clearly went, who clashed and went head to head. And it's, it's, it's sad to see, but a lot of ego in there. It's poor leadership. What were we saying last time? That you know, a leadership quality is being able to keep your head when those around you are losing theirs. Exactly. And right there in that situation, leader has to keep his head. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Dominic Cummings, eh? Wow. Should, should be a Specsavers advert, I think, Dominic Cummings, shouldn't it? I think there's a whole episode here around how to fire. In fact, not how to fire, how to hire and how to fire. Yeah. Because yeah. a giant yeah. part of this is we hired the wrong person in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's do that podcast around how to hire, how to fire. Great. On the list. Let's put it on the list. All right. All right. What's got your attention? Well, I was reflecting on this as we always do. Over the last couple of weeks when I've been connecting with my clients, the constant theme that's coming back at me is re-energizing our culture. And, you know, we've come through the pandemic and people are have reflected, they've gained perspective, they've started asking where they want to live, how they want to work, where they work, how they work, what's important to them, why do they go into an office? And the background to all this as well is we're coming out and we've now got pretty full employment. It's in fact, people are struggling to find new recruits. Wages are rising. People have choices as a need to keep our people and attract new ones. And I think people are in the driving seat again. And leaders are thinking, well, I need to get my people together quite rightly. I need sort of vision refresh, purpose refresh, values refresh, get them on away days. It's front and center, and it's really important. I think it's probably the most important thing to do at the moment, which is to get your teams together, get your top team together, communicate, 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 engage, away days, re-emphasize what you're here to do, and you know, re-get re the, get the energy back into the, the business and the culture. Yeah, I'm hearing the same as well. I think two things. One is we've got to remember people are tired. Mm. And there's been this low-level worry for everybody. Mm -hmm. You've probably experienced this, talking to somebody who's just had their first jab, and they say, hey, I've got my jab. 
was really surprised at the relief I felt. I didn't realize that I was carrying around this this stress, this worry, but I felt relieved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. has been going on for people. So there's that. People are tired and exhausted. And let's remember, of course, that so many have lost somebody to COVID. Mm-hmm. And this is a period where that's happened for so many people as well. So that's one. So we need to re-energize our cultures for that reason. And then the other, and the reason that I'm really busy with with off-sites, and I reckon you are too, mm. is as we stand here, things are possible that we didn't realize possible. Mm-hmm. Levels of belief and confidence have changed. Mm-hmm. Hey, we just got through this. Mm. We were more inventive, resourceful, and resilient than we ever thought we would be as we navigated this pandemic. Mm. And so our confidence and our understanding of our own abilities is increased. Mm -hmm. And as you said, there's new ways of working as well. So take all of that together. And absolutely, it's prime time to work through the, the strategy process afresh. Yeah, we've got to be out there doing it. And don't press the pause button, don't think, let's wait till we've got some answers. Get off site, get your people together, especially your top team, communicate, engage, and bring the energy back. I think it's so important at the moment. I agree, but but one one thing, Ian, off sites can be done on site now. People haven't been in the office for ages. I'm doing an off site next week and we're doing it on site. And it's gonna be the first time that team has been together on site for 18 months. So bring your off sites back on site. <laughs> I never thought of that. I guess I've been stimulated by t- taking a, a leadership team to, to Snowdonia last week and the power of being away from your office, a long way away, you know, in the countryside with hills surrounding you and be able to have nice walks. It puts something else into your head. It makes you feel different. It gives you much more perspective. And so I take the point about, <laughs> you know, on-site's the new off-site, but I think uh, if you can get right away with the SLT and some of your teams, uh, you'll get benefits there too. So, Ian, Teams 2, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. Great book. Both of us are giving copies of this left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. We both believe in it. What's the book about? Well, the book's a fable, as all Lencioni's books are, except for The Advantage. So it's a story, dead easy to read, lovely Mm -hmm. and audible, doesn't take too long. The story is, in its own right, compelling about a leadership Mm -hmm. team. And a new CEO comes in to run a leadership team. And the leadership team is dysfunctional. And it's about working through the dysfunctions. And he presents a model as we go through the book. But unlike many leadership books where you say, here's the model, let's work through it. The model is revealed as the story grows. And that's the beauty of it. And I think that's where Lencioni scores really highly. Yeah, he's done that well. And without fail, people read the book, Yeah, actually. Yeah. You know, they get a few pages in and they're thinking, oh, actually, I'm going to keep going with this. Mm. And the reason is the characters in the book, they can relate them to people in their own teams. Yeah. And they start to realise, oh, no, oh, crap, we've got somebody like that here. And that dysfunction, we've got it here. And they begin to realise the structure of dysfunction in their own team Mm. 
And of course, then they're hooked and they want to know what happens next. And does the team in the book, do they get through that? Mm. Yeah, and they're thinking, are we going to get through this? And it's a real eye opener. And, and so one of the confusions I think about the book is it's not a high performing team book. It's about the basics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know that great teams are really disciplined about the basics and this is a great place to start. Speaking of which, Ian, let me put you on the on the spot. Okay. What are the five dysfunctions? So the five dysfunctions start with the absence of trust. So we look at our own teams and we say, well, have we got any trust there? They then go on to a fear of conflict. I know when I've worked with lots of teams on this, sometimes they balk at that word conflict and they say, really, what does that mean? And we have to get into that, which we will today, I'm sure. Then we go on to a lack of commitment, which comes out of the next level, then avoidance of accountability, the fourth level, and finally, an inattention to results. Yeah, okay. And I know that both you and I, we flip this model away from the dysfunctions and into the the functions, if you like, of a cohesive Team. Mm. But it's useful, I think, to start with those dysfunctions because right there we've got an intervention for a team. Mm-hmm. As they work through this and they take stock, they realize, hey, there's dysfunction here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that is undermining us. And that's a really important starting point, I think. That's right. Lentieni has got a field guide that goes with this book, which is useful for people, which we both use. He's got a scoring mechanism so you can score yourself on where you fall down on the model. But yep. page, page 217, 15 questions. Yeah. Send them to every person in your team, get the answers, and you've got a little diagnostic there. Perfect. Easy to do, paper-based if you want, simple, great diagnostic. I think one of the things that, that, that I think is really clear about this model, though, is you can't dip into it and say, oh, I think our trust OK. I think we're pretty good at conflict. Mm, not so sure about accountability. Right. Let's really focus on accountability then. I'm really going to hold people to account and then I'll have a functional team. I think the interesting thing about the model for me is nothing works in this model without vulnerability based trusts. Nothing works in terms of team cohesiveness unless you get vulnerability-based trust shown up and role-modelled by the leader of the team. Sure, it's a basic. Well, we can we can start there. Why don't we yeah. Why don't we work through through the model? Lencioni draws it as a pyramid, or at least I often see this mm-hmm. illustrated as a pyramid with vulnerability-based trust uh, at the foundation level. Actually, I don't think it works like a pyramid, but we'll roll with that. So dysfunction number one, absence of trust. If we turn that around, this one is simple. We're looking for trust in the team. Yeah. The holy grail for a team really is that people will show up and be honest. People will be able to, I mean, vulnerability works both ways. And I think I learned probably more about vulnerability. from. Hang on, hang on. Let's slow down a bit because... I my experience is when I talk to a team about trust, they don't they don't immediately go to the vulnerability thing. No, they don't. I agree. They, they don't. don't. They get confused on that. They get confused, don't they? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
and one of the the common confusions is that they think trust is reliability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if someone's reliable, then we've got trust. That's right. Yeah. I trust you to do this by four o'clock. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. That's not trust. That's that's reliability or unreliability. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I carry on? Great intervention, Ben. <laughs> and so, yeah. So what he really means is vulnerability-based trust. So what, what on earth is that? Now, I understood it to the level when I read it the first time, which was about you want people to show up and be honest and open and, and admit where they've made mistakes as well. But actually, it's a lot more than that. It's about so vulnerability where people have got your back is also, for instance, saying, do you know what? I'm prepared for the first time to lead that pitch with a client. I'm prepared to get on the stage and do a keynote about our business to an audience. That's also vulnerability. And having the trust of your CEO, having the trust of the people around you to do that, because vulnerability, as Brené Brown has said, which is where I got a lot of my inspiration and understanding of this subject, is it's as one of her quotes, it's not winning or losing, it's having the courage to show up and be seen where we have no control over the outcome. And that's the key for me. When you're really showing vulnerability, you're putting something on the table, maybe with a senior management team where you're not sure what they're going to think or say, where you're standing on a stage and you're, you know, you've done all the preparation, you're feeling confident, but you never know till you deliver it. And so it's no control or, or little control of the outcome in some respects. She says vulnerability is not a weakness, it's our greatest measure of courage. And I think that feeds in nicely into what we're talking about here. Brené Brown stuff is great. Yeah, we're talking here about taking risks and being rewarded with acceptance. Yeah. Simple as that. That's what we want to see happening in the team. What do I mean by take a risk? I mean anything from, as you just said, hey, I've not done this before. I'll front the pitch. I'll do the keynotes. It's my first time all the way through to, hey, you know what? I'm not 100%. My marriage is on the rocks at the moment. Just need, need you all to know that. To, hey, I'm unsure here. I don't know the way forward. Mm. It's not really working out, this strategy. Mm. There's a problem here. I can't see a way through it. So I'm going to put it out there. Help me out. Or even, hey, I got it wrong. Mm -hmm. I failed. Mm -hmm. I mucked up. All of these are taking a risk. And people are only going to do that if they believe that what they're going to get in response is acceptance. Yeah. Not ridicule. There you go. Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. What's our number one fear? Our number one fear is fear of ridicule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Does that go on in the team? Because if that goes on in the team, you haven't got trust. Completely. And it is this really hard thing to get off the ground. And you all have tried many of these, Ben, which I've done. And one of the fascinating things about this is the ability we have of fast tracking vulnerability in a team by taking mm -hmm. them through certain exercises. And, and I do mean fast tracking. And some of those things like we talked about them before, I'm sure the I am poem or 
pivotal moments in their lives, which I ran recently with a group, talking about your values and where they came from, things like 80th birthday speech, what do you want to achieve in your life, which all those things start to reveal things about who you are to your colleagues. And what that does is it shows a deeper understanding of people around the table. The transformative effect of that on other people in the group is to say, wow, that was amazing. Thank you for sharing that with me. I feel privileged. I'm now going to share something with you. And the result is that we grow closer, we grow deeper, and it allows us then to put things on the table and have your back and respect you and listen to you and not judge you. Yeah, well, I think two two things. First of all, let's just dispense with the idea that teams at work are professional teams, that mm. we're wearing our suits or whatever the outfit mm. is. It's total rubbish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can't wear a mask no. and do a great job because we're whole people. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So the simple first step is get to know your colleagues, your teammates as people. Mm-hmm. That's simple right. first step. And that will drive a massive, massive improvement right there. And then with the types of exercise you're describing, what we're doing there is we're constructing an exercise where people have to take a massive risk. Mm-hmm because they're revealing one of their inner secrets. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They share and hopefully, and in my experience, pretty much always, it gets accepted by their colleagues. And you knit the team together re- really, really quickly. It's, it's highly effective. I, there, there's a little bit of a, a pitfall, I think, which is if we're not careful with that type of exercise, we can teach a team to overshare. So we've got to be pretty careful, actually, that, hey, we don't always have to share every excruciating detail of our lives. You know, pick and choose choose and share appropriately. The point is, we all know each other. When there is something to be shared or there is a risk to be taken, we're going to accept each other there. And we've got a job to do as well. So it's all got to stay in balance. You're right. There's a couple of health warnings and explanations required when you do those kinds of exercises. One is don't run some of those deep dive exercises if the group are newly formed because it's too much too early and they are for slightly later down the line. So you run simple ones like a sign-in when you give a score for business, personal health and well-being, which we've done for years, and you get people to reveal a little and they start to know each other on a surface level. So there's a health warning there, but I agree. I mean, vulnerability-based trust isn't turning up at every meeting and going, oh my God, you'll never guess what's happened at the weekend and revealing the inner secrets of what you discuss with your wife or you know something <laughs> very personal. That's not what we're trying to get at here. These exercises are designed to allow you to show what vulnerability is and it can fast track it. But actually, vulnerability-based trust, this basis of what Lencioni has as the pyramid, is actually an enabler for the rest of the pyramid, in my view. So in itself, vulnerability is fine and it's useful and it creates this trust, but it's there to get to the next level. And the next level is what really starts to deliver 
in terms of our business performance and our personal performance. Yeah, ag- agreed. It's not going out for a regular curry night with the team. That, <laughs> yeah. That's good to do, but that's useful for blowing off steam Yeah, and having a bit of fun together. It's not necessarily going to drive trust. And what guidance can we give a leader, Ian? I would say this. Get people out of their comfort zones. Mm-hmm. Think of an exercise, any exercise you can do with the team that will take people out of their comfort zones mm. because then they are taking a little bit of a risk mm-hmm. with their colleagues and that will be enough to start building trust. So if you're going to do this on your own, start there. Mm-hmm. And hey, one little exercise any of us can do and should do regularly, I think, is get a bit of paper, draw a circle on that bit of paper, and this is your circle of trust. Mm-hmm. And the exercise is is to put a dot for each of your colleagues, and you can do this actually for all the important people in your life, and put a dot. Who's in the centre of your circle of trust? You'll trust them with your life. Mm-hmm and your innermost secrets. Mm -hmm. Who's a little bit further out? Who's on the periphery? Who actually isn't inside the circle? Mm -hmm. But do this with the team at work and just notice who's right in the middle of my circle of trust, who's on the periphery, is there somebody outside? And then focus a bit of attention on bringing those people from the periphery in, focus a bit of attention on the person that's outside. Mm -hmm. Good way to start building your trust muscles. We know some people better than other people in our teams. That's always going to be the way. We trust people, some people better than other people, as you just said. And that's not sometimes because we have started from a point of distrust. It starts from a point of not really knowing them and not having really spent the time with them. So what I often do is say, right, who do you know least in the room? Right, so before we meet again, go and have a two-hour lunch and don't discuss work at all. Just go and learn something about each other. Just <laughs> figure out what makes each of you tick. Tell each other your story. Yeah, and- I, like, I like that because what's the reaction? Oh, my God, I have to spend <laughs> two hours and actually talk uh-huh. to this person? Uh-huh, and listen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a risk, isn't it? It's a risk. It's a risk. And my God, I haven't got the time to do that, Ian. I've got to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Love it. So it's the foundation. If trust is not there, you've got a problem. Start with trust. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the, the next. In fact, I think that the next two. So the next two dysfunctions are fear of conflict and lack of commitment. Yeah. And I think they, they go they go together. So if we flip these around, Lencioni will say we need productive conflict mm-hmm. and then commitment. Mm-hmm. Now, as you said earlier, I think the conflict word really trips people up. Mm-hmm. So I would say we're looking for disagreement. Yeah. People get that. We're looking for some healthy disagreement. And then we're going to align and commit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, we want challenge. We want people to have a point of view. We want cognitive diversity. We want you to say what's on your mind. But we can only say what's on our mind when we know we're going to get lack of judgment back and we're going to get listening back. Hence, you know, keep going back to the vulnerability based trust. That's when we are open. That's when we say what we think at meetings. And, you know, one of the great quotes Lencioni has in his book is the leader's job in the meeting is to mine for conflict mine for disagreement you know we've all got introverts and extroverts in our teams it's the introverts who you've got to get them to say what they're feeling they're the ones thinking processing often with the sharpest points to make and mine for conflict look read the room look in the eyes of people not speaking and say what do you think and don't allow the nodding dogs or the artificial harmony which Len Shirley will talk about agreed people get artificial harmony don't they? You know, we're all just we're all just agreeing. We're all just nodding. We all know what artificial harmony is. We're going with the flow, even though we may not uh, agree. So people recognise artificial harmony. I think leaders understand mining for conflict, although I still think it's it's dangerous. What we're mining for is the full range of opinions and perspectives. Mm-hmm doesn't actually need to be any conflict there. What we're looking for is, is those differing viewpoints. That's right, we do. We need, we need to get your view on the table. There's a mantra I've run in my head ever since I heard somebody else talk about, which is, if I think it, I've got to say it. And I think there's a big danger in leadership teams where you think it, you don't say it, the meeting ends, and then what happens? Corridor conversation, coffee station conversation. And you're reliving parts of the meeting, which you should have contributed to in the meeting, outside the meeting. And it's the leader who needs to start that conversation. Say, look, don't leave this room and go and have a conversation about what we should have had in the meeting. Agreed. Say it in the room. There's some coaching needed there because, you know, if what I'm thinking is, my goodness, Ian, today you are absolutely full of it. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that. I should be (laughs) self-aware enough that I've got a judgmental reaction, uh, probably laden with my own baggage. And that actually, I should should sit with that thought for a little while and work out what actually (laughs) my point is. So I, I think, again, if we're mining for conflict, there's a little bit of a risk that we tease those bad reactions onto the table. So there's a definition I like, which is very much in Lencioni's language, and then there's one that I actually use. The first is that what we're looking for here is passionate debate, getting to the heart of the issue, tabling all of the angles, surfacing all of the options, so that the best decision can be made for the team. Mm-hmm. So there's three parts to that. It's an issue of importance to the team. Mm-hmm. You know, point number one, what is it that we're talking about here? Is it actually important? Is it the most important thing that we can spend time on right now as a team? Because mm-hmm. if it's not, let's find out what that thing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's number one. And that that in itself takes us away from hidden agendas and personal agendas and onto the real agenda of the team. That right there is going to improve the quality 
of this productive conflict. So number one, is it an issue of importance to the team? We'll come back to that because we need to know how to find those. Is it an issue of importance to the team? Number two, we need to table all of the angles and a full range of opinions, mm-hmm. including the devil's advocate opinion. Yeah. Get them all on the table. Number three, take the best decision for the team. Mm-hmm. The decision that serves the purpose of the team, the reason we need to know that purpose. And that third one is is essential. People have got to understand we're going to take the decision that's right for the team, not right for me, not right for you, right for the team. Yeah, and we might not necessarily agree with it. We might have a different view on it, but this is a team decision. It might The final decision may have to be taken by the CEO, the head of the team, if there's a disagreement in there. But it's what we said earlier, it's disagree and commit. Yeah, agreed. By the way, key point there, every team know how you take decisions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, if we don't get to a natural agreement and mm-hmm. decision, mm-hmm. then what's our process to mm. reach a decision? And you're right, it might be that the senior person takes the, the decision. Mm-hmm. It might be a vote, make sure you've got an odd number of people. Mm-hmm. For that, it might be other processes so no you know that way when you're ready to take a decision you can take a decision and i still i think we're taking a long time we we're about 40 minutes into our podcast here ian something like that and we're only on productive conflicts i think it's a really hard concept so over Mm, time mm. i've moved away from productive conflicts and And I've arrived at, and this is the reason that I join up these two dysfunctions, I've arrived at a simple three-step approach, which is disagree, align, commit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Simple, disagree, align, commit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. It's what it's got to be, isn't it? And I think just touching on what you said earlier about, you know, I might say something and in the meeting you might say, you might think in your head, God, you're full of it today, is Lencioni points out, he creates a diagram, I'm sure it's in his book somewhere, he calls it conflict continuum. Mm -hmm. And again, we we might want to change the words there. But he talks about at one end in a meeting, you get artificial harmony. We might call it inertia, we might call it apathy, but nothing's going on. You know, somebody's talking, somebody's sucking all the oxygen out of the room, getting the airtime, and everyone's thinking, let's just let's just get past this, and no one says anything. We're kind of nodding dogs. At the other end is personal digs, destruction, toxic discussions, mm-hmm. things you wish you hadn't said. And of course, we don't want to go there either. And often if one builds up, the other happens. So we need to get something in the middle where there's energy and attention in the meeting. And I'm not sure it's Lencioni that talks about tension. I think it's um, another author, which will come to me. I think it's Shane Snow in Dream Teams, who talks about we need tension in a meeting. Because when we know we're on a really good topic, going back to what you were saying, what's the most important thing we could discuss today? We're going to have different views. We're going to get right into it. We're going to get down and dirty. We're going to get the the root cause on the table. We're going to discuss it and we're going to come to some agreement how we move on. 
it will cause a bit of tension in the room. And we know there's tension energy when we're on the right subjects. So and when it's all easy and it's too easy having a meeting, we probably know we're not on a subject that's as important as it should be for this team. Because leadership's tough and the real issues we should be discussing are normally tough issues. Absolutely. How do we do that? A ton of ways. There's a team that I work with. They've developed a flywheel for their business every fortnight. They begin a meeting with the flywheel on the wall and they ask themselves, where is the break on our flywheel? Mm -hmm. And then that becomes the topic for that meeting. That's how they identify the, the topic of importance for the team. You can do the same with your balanced scorecard, yeah. which, which metrics are, are dragging mm -hmm. here. Let's spend time on that. We can do a sign-in mm -hmm. amongst the team, get everybody to sign in personal scores, professional scores, what's the number one issue you've got and is it an A, B or C? Mm -hmm. And we can pick one of those. Yeah. Any of these things, have a way of finding the topics of importance. It's a very good point. And I think I've seen, you've seen, and I'd like the listeners to think about how do they create the agendas for their meetings? And we've talked about meetings before, but if you create an agenda that just says, how are we doing? And let's look back at the figures. And let's look Sorry, at Sorry, I just, I just fell asleep again. <laughs> no. and, I, and I certainly didn't show up prepared. No, exactly. So it's not going to inspire us, is it? But, you know, what are leadership teams there to do to tackle the tough issues, to look at the things that are slowing us down on the flywheel, to look at the things that are front and centre in our businesses, the opportunities we have to, to take this business forward, the real challenges we've got, and to really get into those. That's what we're talking about here. Not That's what we're talking about. And we've got to be vigilant as a leader for any competitive conflict, by which I mean conflict where the dynamic is, I'm right, you're wrong, or you're right and yeah. I'm wrong, and to promote my viewpoint or opinion or solution i'm going to undermine yours and if i can't undermine yours your opinion your solution then i'm going to undermine you instead yeah and this is when we get into those personal digs and of course everybody is brilliant at competitive conflict mm -hmm. but the only place we want to see it at work is when we're selling our brilliant proposition against a competitor's not so good proposition yeah. we don't want that in our team meetings so if we see competitive yeah. conflicts emerging red light mm -hmm. stop mm -hmm. remember that we are working towards the best answer for the team but still i think this is really really complex so what i'd like to leave our listeners with is is those three words disagree align commit mm -hmm. yeah very powerful Ben. very powerful i'll say one more psychological thing here which is lenciani has a phrase if we don't weigh in we don't buy in and it's a great phrase because actually as a leader looking at your team or as a team member think about the times where you've sat on the periphery in the stands watching mm. and you're not really part of that conversation and when a commitment is made when a decision is agreed upon you don't feel bought into it very much if you've just sat there and watched 
you've got to get in there. Hence the, the mind for conflict, hence the pull you into this discussion. What are you thinking here? I'm not going to allow you just to go, yeah, I'm fine with that. No, what are you thinking? Are you, are you really up for this? Do you disagree with it? Are there areas of this we want to talk about? Because once you start getting into the conversation, then you start saying, yeah, okay, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm in this now. I'm committed to this. I'm bought into this. I'm part of the commitment we're going to make together. Yeah, we're onto the commitment part of this now. And I agree as a leader in a meeting, if we're chairing a meeting, the first sign of commitment after the meeting was commitment during the meeting. Mm -hmm. Did people participate? Did they voice their opinion? You know, have they engaged enough with the debates that I actually believe they've understood, let alone are getting behind what we've agreed? And the other is, as we take that process through, disagreeing, then aligning, making our decision, and then commitments. A good way to do the commitment piece is, okay, everybody, take five minutes. How are you going to cascade this decision to your team? Or what's the action you need to take personally to make this happen? Five minutes, work through that, and that's going to throw up some issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it may be that it means when I think about explaining this to my team or when I think about what I'm actually going to need to do to make this happen, I no longer agree with the plan. Mm -hmm. So I'm not committed. So we're back into disagree, align, commit mm -hmm. you know, until I am able to commit. Or you know, I rehearse the commentaries and I say, hey, I've got this. I'm, I'm with you on this. But how are we going to explain this part of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's useful because so many good decisions are undermined because we can't get the communication right. Mm -hmm. so let's rehearse that bit. Which is one of the things I think we talked about in our Teams uh, podcast where we talked about how to end a meeting. And there are things that have to happen at the end of the meeting. Actions, commitments, accountabilities, and communication. Mm -hmm. And when you start to think those through, as you've said, sometimes we go back a step and we say, hang on a minute, I'm really not sure how to do that. And when we talk about disagree, align and commit, we can't commit if we suddenly found out the implementation I'm starting to disagree upon because it doesn't really fit. And the last thing we want is people walking out and then implementing in different ways and their, and their alignment and their clarity on the commitment's gone. So it's a complicated peace but it's really important to get right that we all know what we're doing we're really clear we are aligned and you've talked about that communication and engagement piece which is so important to making it happen whatever it is i agree with you and you're right to connect this to having good meetings if we're good at putting on good meetings with the right agendas the right mm. running orders and we're good at managing the meetings we're doing the team a huge favor because we're creating the conditions uh, for productive disagreement, alignment, and commitment. By the way, meetings, the good, the bad, and the ugly, podcast 23, 22, was it? A couple ago. 22, I think, yeah. Yeah, our fastest downloading ever. Why was that then? Why was that, do you think, I, then? I think people hate meetings. <laughs> uh, we struck a chord, do you think? I reckon we did. Right, so what have we done? We've done trust, number one. Disagree, number two. Align and commit, 
number three. Yeah. On to accountability. Although, Ian, I reckon accountability in a team is a complete podcast. Yeah, I don't think we should spend an awful lot of time here. Perhaps a few a few thoughts, but I, I agree. We need to get into this quite deeply. And I think people will be listening to this, I know. And every time I've done this uh, scoring mechanism around this, and I know you go in and see even ad hoc comments from CEOs and, and teams, and you say, what's the what's the biggest problem you've got in your team? What's, what's one of the things you've got as a problem in your organization? Accountability comes up again and again and again. So it's a big issue. It's a huge issue and it's absent so much of the time. And thinking about it now, a poor approach to accountability is perhaps the number one way to torpedo trust in the team. Mm. Or maybe the number one way to torpedo trust in the team is, is to miss the point of trust completely and not actively develop it. But the reason I say that is so often I see the implementation of accountability is that periodically the leader or the chair says, right, well, these were our actions last time. Is it done? Is it achieved? Mm -hmm. And people think, they make the mistake of thinking they've not only needed to have done it, they needed to have produced the desired result mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, failure is not an option. Was that the title of our podcast? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, not everything is going to work out. Oh. The point is to take the action, do it, find out, did it work? Did it not work? Did it mm. work brilliantly? Did it work okay? Mm. Uh, or did it, did it undershoot? Mm. So often there's a pressure that it's got to have worked out. Yeah. And then that makes the accountability piece super uncomfortable. And then I don't want to be held to account. Mm. And if I don't want to be held to account, I don't want to commit in the first place. And if I don't want to commit in the first place, I'm not really going to engage in the conversation. And if I'm not engaging in the conversation, then I'm not going to tell you what I really think. So I'm not taking risks. So the trust is gone. <laughs> nice nice ramble no i completely agree so what do we want to say on accountability before we get into this subject we don't really want to get into this time <laughs> apart from what you've said ben which is terrific of course that's all i'm going to say yeah and if we flip that what are we asking for here check in on progress and keep that check-in open-minded and non-judgmental let's find out has it been done? Did it work? Didn't it work? If it hasn't been done, hey, what got in the way of that? What was the pitfall that stopped it happening? And quite often this will take us back into the disagree, align, commit mm -hmm. level. Because we what we're going to do, we're going to say, well, okay, well, that's not worked out as intended. Mm. Or we thought we'd have got that done by now, but it's stuck. So let's talk it through. Yeah. And if we do it that way, we've got good accountability, but also we underpin both trust and disagreement, healthy disagreement in the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a big area. I mean, I, I don't know what to say on it without getting into it in detail. I think accountability is something that needs to be almost a cultural norm. Because if you think it relies on you holding somebody accountable, it doesn't really work. 
<laughs> it has to be something that I take away. And as you said, you, you know I'm going to go away and do this unless something super important gets in the way. And I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about it and I'm going to say how far it got. And I might even say there's another way of doing it and we come back and we discuss it and we're going to progress it. You know, what went well, it, all the things you're talking about. But it's something that we want to get ingrained in the organization and people confuse it with an almost autocratic way of saying, have you done it by this day? Is it like that? And it's not that. Yeah, it's it's not that. And you're absolutely right. It is cultural. And the number one way that we know we've got a high accountability team or culture is we can see people living the values, whatever those are. People have got the discipline to live those values every single day. And in times of prosperity, as well as times of adversity, the values are strong. Yeah, then they've got discipline, then they've got accountability. So I think we're agreed, aren't we? That's a whole podcast. Absolutely. Let's let's part what we've got there. Let's come back to it. Let's right, let's go right into that another time. So we've got one okay. thing left, doesn't we? Inattention to results, Patrick would say, focus on results. We might say when we flip this into what we're looking for rather than the the, the dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go. You go first on this one, Ian. Well, I always start with getting people to clarify. What is their number one team when they come into a team? And if it's the SLT, what is their number one team? And get real clarity around it's here. You're in it now. And Yeah, so, so what you mean there is where does my loyalty lie? Is it my home team? You know, is it my my sales team if I'm the head of sales? Is it my finance team if I'm the head of finance? Mm. Or is it this team which might be the top management team? Yeah. Which, yeah. which is it? Yeah. And, and that will work at many levels in an organization. We don't have to be just talking about this top management team when we're talking about number one team. It's the most senior team you're in, basically, is where your loyalty must lie. And if it's not there, what happens is, and that's why this clarity around that, and this conversation around that needs to happen very early on. If it's not there, then people are showing up having turf wars. They're showing up trying to defend sales or marketing or get more resources for sales or marketing. And then they'll see if they're in sales marketing as a, as a competitor across the table from them. Rather than understanding the big picture of this number one team is successful together. It goes back to what we said before, which you said very uh, well in a, a conversation we had with a senior leadership team recently, which are you an athletics team or are you a basketball team? And, you know, we talked about that, I believe, in another podcast or I might be imagining it. But no, we did. Yeah, we did. So, and the thing, if people haven't heard that before, is if you're a basketball team and one of you isn't on song, one of you's out of sync, one of you's not playing well, the team's going to lose. The team's not going to win that day. We're, we're not going to work. Athletics teams, you're doing your own thing. And in an organizational sense, you've got to be thinking like a basketball team. I'm here so that if I see marketing struggling and the person in marketing struggling, A, I'm going to support them with love, com comfort, support, some challenge in and out of the meeting. And B, I might give up some resource for them because I understand that that's what the team needs to succeed. Yeah, I think this is a, such a nuanced tension 
that exists in each company and the way to navigate it is a is a strong leader figures out how these things should knit together but one part of what you're talking about that is often not present but should be easy is in any team the team's agenda the best interests of the team have got to outweigh the best interests of the individual mm-hmm. or align Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're working in the interests of the team over the individual. The team also must create conditions for success mm-hmm. for each individual in it. So that's one part. Something else here on focus on results is that it's easy to read the five dysfunctions of a team. Penny drops, in fact, all five pennies drop. And it's possible to draw the conclusion, "Ah, I get it now. So if I get trust in the team and then we develop some good productive conflicts and we see good commitment and then accountability, Mm. well, then results will follow. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, they might. (laughs) But only if you are focusing on the right things. And it comes back to the the disagree, align, commit piece. Mm. What's our topic? Is it a topic of importance to the team? And this is what this one is about for me. Mm. Are we focused on the topics of importance for the team? Now, you and I, often we're talking about the the top management team, the team at the top. Important team, mission critical team. So in that team, but also actually in in most teams, I think you know, a good exercise, we had a few earlier, we can put the flywheel on the wall and we can ask where's the break on our flywheel right now. We can have our balance scorecard and which of our KPIs is, is dragging. Mm. Uh, another way to do this, and I know you love this as well, is let's use the Stockdale paradox. Mm. It's great. The Stockdale Paradox, we'll put the link up for Jim Collins telling the story of Admiral Stockdale in the Hanoi Hilton, tortured many, many times. And as he reflected on that experience years later after he he was rescued and had recovered, he describes how the way he got through was having unwavering faith that he would prevail and at the same time acknowledging the brutal truths of his current reality. Mm -hmm. And that's the paradox. Mm -hmm. Unwavering faith that we will succeed here Mm -hmm. at the same time as tabling the brutal truths of the current reality. It's really healthy, I think, for any team to use the Stockdale paradox. And the way they do that is, okay, team, 10 minutes. Let's talk about brutal truths. What are all of the brutal truths Mm -hmm. of our current reality? Mm -hmm. Everything. Let's get it up on the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we've got a whole list that we can prioritize. Which of these is you know, going to kill us, which of these, if we can turn it around, is really going to catapult us and create massive success. You know, these can become those topics around which we want the productive conflicts. And then having done that, because 
hey, we don't want to depress the team too much. You know, then we do the other half of it. Okay, what are our reasons to be confident? Yeah. And 10 minutes, by the way, if we spent 10 minutes on the brutal truths, 10 minutes on reasons to be confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's remind ourselves of that. And this, for me, is what focus on results means. We need a way of identifying the key topics that are essential to the team. And if we're focused on those and we do it with trust and we disagree, align and commit and we have accountability, then we'll get the results that we want. It's an absolutely vital point. I think those models are great. Stockdale paradox is great. Brutal truths, absolutely great. I think if I was to step back to say, where do we go with what's important? And maybe this is a bit we've missed. We've talked about it before, but it goes back to what's on your agenda. You know, when Mm. are you coming into a management meeting? What's on your agenda? And that goes back to have you created a robust vision? If you go right back, have you created a, ro- a robust vision? Have vision, you created strategy, strategy strategic yeah. plans? Have you created your big strategic priorities for the year? And then these brutal truths are one of your key strategic priorities isn't working out. You're not making traction. Where's the root cause? Let's get down to that. Let's find out the brutal truths around this strategic priority, which we all thought, by the way, was critical to our success last year when we put it on the table. Why is it faltering? Why is it not being successful? That's where we start to look. 100% agree. And this right here is why five dysfunctions of a team is not a model of team high performance. It's Mm. a model of team cohesivity. Mm To shift that into a model of team high performance, we've got to add in that stretching goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also we need to look at what's the what's the approach mm-hmm. we're going to take. And on an organizational level, of course, approach means strategy and the plan mm-hmm. and the structure to deliver that and the right people in the team and availability of the right resources mm-hmm. uh, and a good way of working. You know, we need those two, stretching goal, clear approach, and this key uh, cohesivity piece that Lencioni gives us so beautifully. Gosh, there's a lot here, Ben. And then the, the interesting thing about all these things we talk about is they just knit together. You know, you, you get into one aspect of leadership, you have to talk about all aspects of leadership. It, you can't, ha- you know, they don't sit in separate boxes. We talk about all these things that fit into this Brilliant Lencioni model. Gosh, we've been talking for a while and probably keep going, but we probably (laughs) should wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap up. I'm going to say no more than get the book, read the book, do the diagnostic, page Mm. 217, I think it is, 15 questions, send them to every person in your team, compile the answers. You need to do a little bit of manipulation to get to an assessment of red, amber, green on the five different functions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a little spreadsheet that does that, actually, that people can ping me and and ask for. Use it as a KPI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Run this every six weeks and see how the team is doing. Mm -hmm. Look at the responses, which of the 15 is the lowest response Mm -hmm. and you've got it that's your focus for the coming six weeks focus on that one dial it up 
How healthy is our team? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Buy the book, use it as you've said, and buy the book for your whole leadership team. Buy the book for mm. your whole team because there's nothing worse than you understanding this stuff and they're thinking, what's he talking about? So grab the book, but share the book. It's, it's not going to be a big expense for you. Get people to read it, it's a really quick read, and then discuss it. Discuss the book, discuss the model. Really get clarity and alignment around the model. As you said early on in our chat, Get real clarity about what we mean about these various things, especially the trust piece. What do we mean by vulnerability-based trust? It's not just trust. It's not believing you'll do it by four o'clock. This is deeper than that. So get people to understand the model, really get to understand, and then, gosh, you'll move your team forward well. Yeah, totally. Trust, disagree, align, commit, be accountable, focus on the right things. Great model for team cohesivity. Fabulous. Well, look, this has been great, Ben. We've worked out there's going to be another podcast uh, at some point on accountability because it's uh, such a big topic and we love it and it's so important. A podcast about how to hire and how to fire. How to hire and how to fire. We've got two more on our list, which is great. Without revealing anything, we've got a couple of really interesting guests that we've been approached about interviewing. So we're looking at that at the moment. So listeners can look out for some really interesting guests coming along in the near future. But I think we, we have a wrap Ben. That's a wrap. Thank you, Ian. I'll see you back here in two weeks time. See you then, Ben. Bye. Bye-bye.